At Midway USA, we know the AR-15 is one of the most popular rifles in modern American history. Known for its modularity and widespread use, it's often considered essential to any gun collection. The essential things you need to run an AR-15 are usually always in stock during shortages, things like magazines and 5.56 ammo. Whether you're looking to buy a new AR-15 or buy parts for your modern sporting rifle, log on and for just about everything for the outdoors, shop MidwayUSA.com. Hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Welcome to the Elk Shape Podcast. I'm Dan Staten. This is your blue collar, do-it-yourself, self-guided, public land, elk hunting learning curve resource, where we leverage hunting to create more personal development. Our goal is to educate and encourage our listeners to become the best possible version of themselves through hard work, delayed gratification, and being accountable to themselves. Hey, welcome to Elk Shape Podcast. Me, Dan, the fitness man. What's up, y'all? Hope you're doing good. Let's get to it. So we are recording with Chris Jackson out of Asotin, Washington. It's a little town in the southeast corner. Chris is a diehard elk hunter, super blue collar, and he's also created a product that's been on the market for a while that we will talk about. It's called Solvid. This company has basically created a headband where you can attach a camcorder on the side. It mounts right by your ear. I have one, and I'm going to run it this year so I can basically capture footage and still hunt elk solo. Uh, it's ideal if you use a Panasonic camcorder versus like a Canon or Sony because Panasonic is, as far as I know, the only kind that has the LCD viewer that you flip open and you can hit record and you can close that viewfinder all the way and it still keeps recording. And so I've actually put the headband on. I have a Panasonic and I, it's not 4K. Put it on and started shooting off my deck and I'm pumped because I've struggled to find a good head mount that doesn't fish eye. And uh, yeah, so it's pretty exciting. But we bring them on today because Chris is an avid elk hunter. Chris is the guy who found Steve Rinella Meat Eater's bull that he shot and couldn't find, or he hadn't found yet. And if you watch Season 8, Episode 2 on Netflix, you will see that Steve Rinella at the time was a Washington State resident for three years. And in those three years, he drew a very difficult tag, a very limited entry tag in the southeastern Washington where there's big bulls. And they film a show, you know, Steve and Janice or Yanis or whatever you say his name, Patelis, like three other camera guys. And uh, Ranella shoots a giant, uh, like a very uh, good looking, a little bit non-typical 350 plus public lamp bull. And he doesn't make the best shot and they struggle to find it. And if you watch that, I'm, I'm going to spoil it. So if you if you don't want to watch it. Uh, they can't find it, and then another hunter finds the bull and gets and tracks them down and says, "Hey, did you shoot a bull? I found it." 
and he unites him with his bull. And I think Steve loses a little bit of meat, but not all the meat. And uh, I watched the episode. It was good. I like Steve Rinella. I like Meat Eater. I think all in all, they do a good job. Anyways, that's this guy, Chris Jackson. So uh, we're going to bring him on today, and it's going to be awesome. We're going to talk about that story. We're going to talk about the story of him designing this product, but we're really going to talk about solo elk hunting specifically because that's what he does. That's what I do. And uh, it's going to be a great episode. I just sent an email out to all our subscribers. If you're not a subscriber, all you have to do is go to elkshape.com, a pop-up, fill it out. I'll send you five top tips from the podcast on how to basically be a better elk hunter. And uh, we'll get your email address. And I don't email very often, maybe once a month. And it's usually something worthwhile reading. I don't just send you stuff. But my last email I sent out just, hey, it's less than 90 days till elk season. Here's just a handful of things that are on my radar. It's also kind of crunch time. Spend as much time with your family as possible. Make those love deposits. Excel at your work and bankroll all your objectives so you can completely check out once you go on your hunt. For me, that's recording several podcasts ahead of time, several YouTube content ahead of time, edited, scheduled, ready to rock, making sure I have systems in place for fulfillment, making sure that I've executed all my elk shape camps. You guys get the idea. Uh, Five arrows a day minimum before breakfast. I like to wake up, walk out to the deck, and shoot. This time of year, there's lots of daylight. I get up early and it's light out. And I like to shoot five arrows cold before I do anything. Attend a mountain 3D shoot. So important that you get some perfect practice in and shoot those angles. And stretch out that tape a little bit. See uh, how you handle some pressure. Peer pressure, whatever you want to call it. Just some friendly competition. I'm going to go to TAC, Total Archery Challenge in uh, Big Sky. And I'm going to shoot on Friday. Maybe I'll see some of you out there. Develop your hunt plans for each state, which I'm doing right now. I have three elk tags and I'm going through Treeline Academy and just stepping up my e-scouting game, I suggest you do the same. I've actually printed out hunt plans, the template that uh, Mark Livesey created, and I'm actually writing down all my plans and areas and detail of what I'm doing so I know and I don't wing it. Uh, I spent a lot of time on Google Earth and Base Map. I'm also downloading some offline maps right now. I'm marking up Google Earth, transferring KLM files. All sorts of stuff, uh, contacting packers, places to hang meat, logistics. I'm just trying to figure out where I'm going to stay, all that kind of stuff. I'm testing new arrivals, getting new gear. I have to go test it before it makes it into my pack. And I'm always networking via social or whatever. And I'm giving away information too so I can get good information. And when I contact biologists and game wardens, I make sure that I've already done my due diligence. Not that I'm just asking them basic questions and getting the same generic answers that they give everybody know your stuff know the details ask really specific questions gonna be dropping a few trail cameras not a ton but just to places where i can get in a day's time or two days maybe an overnight get those cameras out and i plan on getting these cameras back out once i'm hunting type of thing or letting them soak for a whole year speaking of trail cameras i always run you know energizer double a lithiums with the biggest sd card and i usually have like manual settings on the camera like a 20 second video with depends on where it's at like if it's over a wallow or if it's over mineral or if it's over a game trail the delay 
depends on that. And then try to get it out of the sun. Don't let it be near brush where if the wind picks up, you're getting videos of stupid stuff. Or if a bull moose, if you're on a mineral lick and a bull moose is there for 24 hours, it doesn't just fill up your memory card and then try to put them somewhere where people won't see them. So I usually put them up pretty high. I bring tree pegs and yeah, that's what I do. Break a sweat every day in the name of elk hunting, period. The end. Enjoy the process. Maybe you should get 90 days to freedom. Maybe you should get 21 days to elk shape. Super affordable. Don't be spending $500 or more on some of these fancier elite mountain athlete programs. I just think it's laughable. Uh, spend less than 100 bucks. Get your fitness program. If you're going to spend money, buy workout equipment for your garage gym or put, uh, put gas in your truck and go scout, man. And that's just coming from another blue-collar guy. So that's what I think. That's what I put in my last email. So again, sign up for an email list by going to elkshape.com. A pop-up will... And you can just fill in and I'll also send you a PDF automatically of some tips on elk hunting as well. Uh, that's what I got there. Let's get to the podcast, guys, with Chris Jackson. We're going to talk about all sorts of elk things and uh, I'll catch you at the end of the episode. Have a great week. Let's rock and roll. Well, you got to keep your, your overnight saved up for elk season, you know. My man, speaking my language. Yeah, that's kind of how I feel about it. Are you married? I am married to children. Uh, yeah what's the ages i know the story uh i got a let's see one just turned four and i've got an eight-year-old and an 11-year-old oh that's quite the spread uh how old are you i am i'll be 40 here in a couple months yes so how's 39 because i'm about to turn 39 this summer what's it like uh, it's not a whole lot different than 38, except for, um, everybody keeps reminding you that you're almost 40. <laughs> Thanks everybody. Like I didn't know already. So yeah, exactly. And then they think they're going to have a big party and, you know, I was planning on hunting Oregon this year and my birthday is August 26. And last year it started on, uh, elk season started on the 24th. So my plan was to shoot a bull on my my 40th birthday that way i would skip out on a surprise party or something and and uh yeah now they moved it i think it's like the 28th or 29th now Mm-hmm. yeah dude oregon people hate me because i promote it uh-huh but and i don't hunt it so i'm kind of a hypocrite but i would hunt it if i didn't draw a tag and i was looking for to go to at least one over the counter in the Northwest, I'd pick Oregon, man. 120,000 elk. Bro, that's a lot more than Washington. And there's there's actually quite a bit of elk habitat, you mm-hmm. know, when you on both sides of the state. Right. As well. Uh, so it spreads people out. You know, Washington is kind of tough because, you know, you got the over counter, the stuff on the, the Northeast and the, the West, but. Uh, you know, down where I live, Southeast Washington, it's all draw and people, well, our last podcast, well, two podcasts ago, we basically, we didn't talk shit, but we basically just kind of clowned on Washington's elk program and their strategy. It's just, and so we won't go down that road with you, but, uh, bottom line is like Oregon, in my opinion, is kind of doing it right. They have a long enough season that again spreads people out. Like Washington has so many hunters and they just keep it at like a 12-day season. It just packs the woods. Oh yeah, big time. It's no fun. Uh, 
Oh, and then, you know, down here for in southeast Washington where I live, it's it's uh, spike only over the counter. Whether Ooh. you're archery hunting, rifle hunting, muzzleloader hunting, no matter what, it's spike only. And uh, it's just hard to get too excited over a spike. You know, not not saying I would pass up a spike, you know, and, I, and the spike meat sounds really good. But uh, it's just hard for me to get really excited and spend a lot of time chasing them when uh. I can chase when I've got two states that border me that I can go hunt branched antler bulls. Yeah. I, I couldn't agree more. Um, fill the listeners in on your background. Cause we're about to dive into elk hunting. You've killed some good bulls over the counter, public land, our kind of people. So what's your background, Chris? What's your day to day look like? What do you do, man? Okay. So, you know, I've been, been hunting for, you know, since I was a child, my, my dad was a hunter, uh, back in the day, doesn't do much anymore unless it's predators. But, uh, you know, he kind of got us started in the rifle hunting scene and used to look up at his, his, what we would consider his trophy wall at the time. And, you know, it, now we call it the wall of two points, but, uh, you know, he, he definitely, did his fair share of hunting when he was young. And, and then we kind of taken that to the next level, my brother and myself, um, you know, with, uh, just even just doing some scouting is more than he ever did. So, you know, we've definitely have been able to acquire a few more bigger animals than what he's ever got, which is, is good, I guess, considering he was hunting more in the, the prime time. So it's good to know that there's still some opportunities out there. Um, elk hunting that I, I did take a little bit longer to get into that mainly because I'm a, I'm a Washington resident and just wasn't able to afford, uh, uh, out of state prices when I was in college and whatnot. And then, you know, starting new family and all that stuff. So it took me a little bit longer to get into the elk hunting. Uh, so my, my main focus to begin with was mule deer and we, we've got some pretty good mule deer hunting uh, not too far away and, and focus on that a lot and did, did pretty well, got some nice bucks. And, and then finally we started getting into the elk hunting and now that has really consumed my, my hunting fantasies ever since I've really been getting into that. And, you know, it's just a whole different scene up there. I've, I've got a, a few nice bucks, so I, I've got that under my belt and my goal now is to, to get consistent at getting nice bulls. Um, you know, I've, I've been pretty consistent at, at the, the younger bulls, you know, the, the, the five points and small sixes and got a couple older mature bulls under my belt now. So I'm starting to get a little more picky, but, um, so that's kind of how I got into elk hunting. Uh, let's see. And so we, my brother and I also started a business, the head camera mount business. And so we decided that we needed lots of footage for marketing materials as well. So that kind of drove the, the, the elk hunting bug as well. You know, the elk are big, big targets. So you can see them pretty well, uh, on a head mounted system. Mm-hmm. So that, that turns out to be pretty good video. Plus you got the audio of them of them screaming and whatnot, you know, versus mule deer hunting. You'll never hear them say a word basically, or never a sound. So, uh, you do get that with the elk hunting that you don't get with the, the deer hunting. 
Um, so yeah, that's, that's basically how that went. And then now that's just about all I can think of is elk hunting. Good. Well, you've come to the right podcast. You've killed elk in Washington, Oregon, and Idaho. Not Oregon. Not Oregon. Okay. That's a, that's a sore subject as well. Cause I, I missed a really nice one last last season Uh, that was our first time ever hunting Oregon actually and the reason why we were gonna hunt it is because uh, I was I was gonna go to my typical Idaho zone and I went to go buy my tag and lo and behold they'd sold out a non-resident tags so you know I had to do something as far as listening to some screaming bulls so we just my brother and I both went and got elk tags in Oregon and, uh, and had a really good hunt. He actually got a nice six point, um, that worked out pretty well. And, you know, to go into a, a backcountry zone, both of us going in there, he comes out with one and I had a really good opportunity at another one. We really can't complain too much about that. No, that's really successful. And everyone's definition of success should be relative to where they're at. So how was your elk hunting learning curve, Chris? Like we've, I've talked about mine plenty of times on here, but it was a slow go for me. And then I got the ball rolling and I'm still riding a really long wave of success. That's consistent. And I attribute it to just (laughs) school of hard knocks, making all the the most common mistakes early on. Uh, Tell us about your learning curve. Well, I, the first time I ever got an elk tag was, was an Idaho elk tag and I actually did fill the tag, but not to say I had a good season. It was a, it was a raghorn for a first bull. It was a great bull. You know, it didn't, I didn't have to think about whether I was going to shoot it or not, but it was the only elk I saw the entire season. Oh, wow. So, uh, although, you know, I was hunting North Idaho at the time and, and I'm sure you know how that looks. (laughs) Yeah. That's Uh, not saying much. Yeah. I, I was in the elk, you know, I had some other opportunities where I had some elk, some bulls bugling. And, uh, I mean, there was a, a herd bull bugling when I shot that bull, you know, he was just a satellite raghorn that snuck in on me. And, uh, it was the end of the season. I think it was, you know, it was the last weekend I had to hunt. So, I mean, it was a no brainer. I wasn't going to wait around for the, the herd bull that didn't sound like he was heading my direction by any means. So, so I, uh, got a good shot on him. He only made it a couple hundred yards and actually died right in a Creek bed, which, you know, made it good for cleanup, I guess. But when you're all, I was all by myself and it was a 3000 vertical climb to get there. Uh, so it's not like you can just pull him out of the Creek bed. You basically, I, I basically boned him out right in the Creek bed. That's awesome. But you know, you do what you got to do. No doubt. And, uh, you packed him out solo. Well, I, I took that load down and, uh, that, a uh, few days before that I'd been talking to a buddy of mine and he said he might be up in the area. And I, it was just after dark and I was getting down to my pickup and I heard some people down there and I was kind of snuck in on them seeing if they were messing with my vehicle or what was going on. And it ended up being my buddy. And, uh, you know, of course they were already three sheets to the wind. (laughs) Uh, They'd been grouse hunting and stuff. So I don't know if that's a good combination, but Hey, when you got somebody to help you pack an elk out, you take it. Mm -hmm, Definitely. Uh, 
So he might have been a little hungover in the morning, and I, I might have sugarcoated the hike in there. Absolutely. Uh, he had three bologna sandwiches down before we even got to the elk, and, and that was all our food for the day. So uh, it was pretty funny. But he did help me pack it out, and I owe him tremendously for that one because we were we were able to get it out the, that next day. And otherwise, I'd have I'd have missed a, a day or two of work, and and not to mention it was it was warm, you know. So it was all about getting it out of there as fast as possible. Well, the the learning curve, though, I mean, the first year success, you, but you had lots of encounters, and it takes a little luck, too, and it sounds like you kind of had that happen, but tell us, and maybe you were already going that direction, but tell us how the next few seasons played out. Well, the next season, I didn't get one, actually. Um, I, I did have the tag. I had a really big bull come in, you know, 300 plus anyway, Uh and almost got a shot at him, but it just didn't work out. He was looking right at me at 20 yards and, and then blew out of there. And, uh, and that was it for that season, but I didn't get much time to hunt either. But and then I, I hunted that same area for three or four years after that with, and got a bull each year. Mm. Uh, three of them were, were small, uh, five points. And then one was a, a 311 six point that I was pretty pumped about. And I actually had seen him the year before, uh, I had him at 18 yards and just never could get a shot. And he had a, he had a club, a club antler on one side. He had, you know, two, his two brow tines. And then he had kind of his third, it kind of swooped down. It was weird looking. And then up above, you, it just kind of clubbed out on top. Mm. And then he was a six point on the other side. And, so I was right back in the same area the following year and a nice six point came in and I killed him and he only made it about 40 yards. And, and when I got up to him, it was obvious that that was definitely the same bull. Uh, but he had, he had been a six, he, he turned into a six point, but you could still see that third is, is pointed down and droops a little bit. And then he's got kind of a big knot right there in the main beam. So, and then, you know, considering the fact it was only a couple hundred yards from where I had him the, the year before, I'm, I'd say 98% sure that that is the same bull. Yeah. So it was just kind of cool to see that he did, uh, even though he did have a non-typical antler the one year, it, it, uh, you know, it's typical this year or the year I got him. So, um, I did have, I, I've been pretty lucky in the Washington draws and I've had a couple or well, three, three big bull tags in Southeast Washington now. Archery? Yep. Are you serious? Well, the, the first time I drew with seven points, which is pretty lucky. And then I drew with two points, which is pretty lucky. Well, which is really lucky. And then I drew again two years later, but I for some reason I was trying to, I bought my, I bought my, uh, raffle tags online and then I went to go put in for them and it wasn't showing that I had them. So it took a couple calls with the fishing game and, and they discovered that I actually had two different accounts and I had four or five points just sitting in this other account that I didn't even know about. Mm. So, so they, they combined them. They spelt my middle name wrong. Got it. 
one of them, you know, same social security number and all that stuff. So, uh, it was obvious that it was me. And, uh, so luckily I was able to draw another tag two years after the other one, but I should throw in there that, well, I, I didn't kill one the first year did have him, did have a hit. I will admit to, um, mm-hmm. 40 hours later, my a buddy, two huge canyons away had video video footage of him at a wallow wallow and you couldn't even tell he was hit so i'm pretty sure he survived uh, unless he got an infection or something but you know they are it was a shoulder hit probably good to go yeah i didn't hardly get any penetration and i he actually he got up out of his bed walked to me and he was coming right at me and i was at full draw and he saw me and then he ran back i cow called he stopped at about 30 quartering slightly to me but Mm -hmm. definitely not enough not to take the shot i was just thinking i'm gonna hold it tight to the shoulder should be totally good well right when i did that of course he jumped the string and brought his shoulders back and and drilled him right in the shoulder and he ran about 80 yards and bedded back down like it never even happened so i sat there for a couple hours waiting just and it was too brushy to try and stalk in there. And then the wind started swirling around, so I just got out of there. I came back six hours later, and he was gone. The only thing that was left was the arrow, and it didn't look like I got more than a couple inches of penetration. Are you willing to say where you were, or are you worried about that? Well, I'm just, I'll just say southeast Washington. Okay, because I like my the Washington podcast, I like say exactly what I drew, because I personally don't think I'll ever draw it again. But you better you better keep it quiet because you might. I'm going to interrupt the podcast. This is a mid-roll advertisement. This podcast is free, so relax. I don't charge you nothing. Uh, Vortex Optics out of Wisconsin is the main sponsor for Elk Shade Podcast. These guys are great. They have the VIP warranty, which backs up any of their products, no questions asked. I'll be honest. I've had to send back binos at least once in my long history, long tenure with them, and they were fixed and shipped back immediately. So the gear I'm using from Vortex this year is I'm going to be rocking their Vortex Razor HD 4000 laser rangefinder. I think it's super affordable. It does everything I need to. It scans fast. It gives you your reading and it compensates for angle. You rifle guys could use it, but I like it for archery and it shoots to the decimal for all my archery ranges. So uh, no longer am I shooting to 48 yards. I'm shooting 48.2 yards. I like that. And uh, Vortex is just a great company. They have a discount code for all their Vortex apparel and soft goods. 20% off. Use the discount code ELKSHAPE. Uh, I'll be using the Razor HD. These are Ultra HD 10 by 42 Phenomenal at low light. That's I use 10s for elk hunting. And then for spotting scopes, I don't like to bring a spotting scope for elk hunting unless I'm trying to get footage. Otherwise, I don't really care to bring a spotter, but I'm going to be bringing one to Wyoming and Montana, and I'll be bringing their 65mm. It's a razor, and uh, it's angled, and I run it on an outdoorsman tripod. So that's what I got. Let's get back to the show. Thanks for the brief interruption. Yeah, I bet if you keep putting in, you know, you're only 38. You've, you know, you <laughs> I think I drew with 11. Yeah. I drew with 11 points, and um, I was in Wanaha East. Um, it was awesome country. Yeah, I actually kind of say that I grew up right in that area. Yeah. 
uh, you know, where Three Forks Trail is. Yeah. Off Grouse Flat. Yeah. So my my dad, from the time I was in high school till about, oh, 15 years ago, well, it was probably about 10 years ago, he lived right there near Three Forks Trail. No kidding. So so I'm used to looking over there into the Wanaha and all that more flat country and First Creek. You know, d- did lots of shed hunting in there growing up. Back when it was like normal shed hunting? Well, there was nobody there. Yeah, like people not camped on elk and oh yeah, boot tracks everywhere. My dad lived right on the top of Crooked Creek, and you could. Are so you, you're looking at? Are you kidding me? Hillsides. Yeah, I mean, you probably you might you um, you drove right past his driveway. That's awesome. Uh, the last private property right before you get there. Yeah, my wife and I. That was our first. We scouted that thing pretty hard, like three different horse trips. And then the first time we went in was a backpack trip in July and we came in from the three forks and we ended up hiking all the way up into third Creek. Yep. And honestly, I was a little disappointed because I didn't see any bulls the whole time. I, it was hot. So I figured they'd be in the Creek bottoms and I'd be able to glass them and they probably were. Uh, and I didn't see a lot of elk sign. And so I was kind of like discouraged that first backpacking trip, but the country was so remarkable. It's like, man, this is, it's going to be good. But, uh, yeah, you're bringing back memory, man. That was just such a fun backpacking trip. That's beautiful country. Yeah. So, yeah, my dad would just sit there and tell us right where the bulls have been hanging out. And, and we'd just go hiking. We didn't have to watch them every day. You know, and you'd go in there and find ones that four years old. And that's pretty non-existent now. Hmm. You know, people come from all over the place. And it's pretty crazy. But... You know, uh, you know, I had, so I had the tag actually, um, not last season, but the season before Okay. And I, I ended up getting my, a, a pretty nice bowl. Uh, he went three twenty four is what he scored just to give you an idea. Uh, was he typical? I, yeah. He was a six by six with a, a kicker. Okay. I've seen some really cool. When I was in there, I saw some really cool crowned out bulls. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of typical of that area. It is. Um, and, you know, actually the day before that, and, I mean, you can probably figure out where I'm hunting by this, but he, uh, oh, I ran into Stephen Ranella on his hunt. Gotcha. And if you've seen that episode, you'll see you'll see me finding his bull for him. That was you? That was me. Dude, I did watch that episode because obviously everybody in Washington hunting forums was either pissed off that he advertised about the unit, but pff, I didn't. I didn't care. Um, and then I couldn't believe the bull he killed. Oh yeah, I, that thing was ridiculous. I couldn't believe it, and then I couldn't believe the shot he that the, he made killed it, but it did, I guess. He must have got an artery or something because when I, f- I found the bull, I was clear. I was a long ways away. You know, I was a mile away, but it was, he was just right out on that finger ridge and he was just right out in plain sight. It was obvious that there was a dead bull down there. And, you know, my intentions were to keep hunting and then I would go, go down and check it out once I, you know, had a moment because it, it was second to the last day, you know, so, uh, I was kind of concerned of filling my own tag. So I, I went up, was chasing another bull that was screaming. I actually had a bull at 30 yards 
and it, which actually ended up being the same bull I killed the next day. But I had him at 30 yards and I hear some voices clear across and up the canyon, clear up at the top, you know, because in that unit, you, you drop down over the edge. And so they're over a mile away and I could hear them just like they were talking and playing voices right next to me. You know, the sound was just traveling through there. It was really calm in the morning. And so, of course, that bull heard it and and he took off was the last I saw of him that day. Mm-hmm. and uh which was fine you know it's not like they really not that they knew or anything so it, it didn't upset me too much as far as that's concerned and there was bigger there was a bigger bull screaming up the canyon a little bit so i went and chased him his cows left and he left with them so i uh that's when i went back down to that bull and i figured those guys would be there already i figured you know somebody shot it right before dark went out got some buddies and was coming back to retrieve it. And so I get up there and they're still not even there. I was like, well, there's, there's no way that they shouldn't be here by now. So they, they obviously haven't found it yet. So that's when I walked up the Ridge and I was following blood. You know, it was amazing how much the thing was bleeding considering, uh, it was a gut shot and, uh, you know, I didn't have to go too far. And I think they would have found the bull eventually. Right. Uh, they were on the right track, uh, but you know, time was of the essence. It was it was probably 80 degrees when I when we finally ran into each other and and getting hotter and it was right out in the open. So um, luckily, I hel- I think I feel like I helped him out at least an hour. So uh, you know, and, and every minute counts when you're dealing with with that kind of heat. So and a bull that's already been there for 12 hours. Two questions. One, I'm assuming, but maybe you, did you recognize Steve right away? And two, how much of your personal hunting time did it, did it take for you to do the right thing and help Steve Ranella, meat eater, find his bull? Well, you know, for, when I got up there, I, I could, I finally, I could hear some voices down in the brush, and so I, I gave him a whistle, and Giannis actually came out first and that's who I first ran into. And I, and when they were coming down the Canyon, it looked like two of them had something in their hands. There was five guys total. And it looked like two of them were, were carrying something. I was like, it almost looks like cameras, you know, and why else would they be packing something in their, their hands? So I saw Giannis and, and then he told me right then that, that it was the meat eater and show and whatnot. And they're going to be coming. Steve's coming with cameras right now. And so when I did see Steve, I, I recognized him. Although, you know, it was definitely different seeing him in person. I thought he was a, you know, a little bigger guy, you know, taller and whatnot, but he's, he's definitely not much taller than myself at 5'10. So he's pretty wiry. Uh, yeah. I thought, I just, you know, in video, I thought he was 6'2 or something, but I, I don't think that's the case. Uh, but he, they were really cool guys. I had a good time with them. I probably hung out with them for one to two hours. Uh, but it was noon, you know, so it was, I wasn't, it wasn't the prime time, although around there it's open enough that you can, you can pretty much hunt all day. That's awesome. So, yeah, I mean, I, I did, did waste a little bit of time with them, but I felt like it was worth it. We had a good time. Business-wise, you should have been pitching them, and we're going to get into your head mount later, but should have been like, oh, you guys are a production company. Um, 
I happen to make something specific for what you're doing, but uh, I'm sure you didn't. But that would have been a good time to pitch. I definitely threw it out there. Okay. Okay. Good. Uh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, you know, at least let him know what I. I mean, I was wearing it for heaven's sake. So I mean, I mean, maybe I wasn't wearing it right when they when I was talking to him, but it, I had I had my my gear with me. You know, okay. I go. I don't go hunting without it, obviously, because that's kind of what I do. So, um, and that's my excuse for being out there and not time with my family and work and whatnot. You know, I have to, I have to justify it one way or another, and that's a pretty good way to do it. So, uh, yeah, I know all about that. Yep. Yep. So yeah, I definitely threw it out there and, and we talked and, and it, it sounded like we were going to stay in touch and whatnot. And, and I did send each of them a message and apparently they never got it cause I didn't receive any response. Uh, but I did end up sending them an email kind of saying that maybe I don't want to be on their show because of how publicly he blasted it and be like, Hey, if this is going to be on, if this is going to be on TV, I don't want you talking about exactly where you got it. Cause on his podcast, um, you know, he basically drew everybody a map right where he got it, which just happens to be bordering my family's property. And, uh, you know, it's just, it's a little different when when it's your backyard. Yeah, bro. Sorry, but that ship sailed, and I think everybody's, you know, who didn't know that Washington has big bulls now knows. And um, fortunately or unfortunately, if you're a non-resident, you're not gonna want to spend the money to put in for our draws because you have to buy a tag. You are gonna have a Washington State elk tag uh, if you put in spike tag. <laughs> yeah, you're gonna have your spike tag. Yeah, because you have to designate whether you're going to do east side or, or west side as well. So so congratulations. You got yourself an Eastern Washington spike-only tag. Have fun. Yeah, come all the way from Nebraska to shoot a, a spike elk. Yeah. Probably not going to happen. No. But, you know, the, the tag applications for that zone went up 175% or something like that in one year. Uh, oh, dude. I found out about this first through uh, one of the hunting Washington forums, which I don't visit very often because I don't live in my mom's basement and I'm not a keyboard cowboy. That that website's the worst. Uh, I'll say that publicly. But uh, I was on there for something and I saw the, the, the thread and I couldn't even keep track of all the comments. But boy, there was some upset Washingtonians that are hunt elk about how obvious he made it. But you know what I think, uh, Chris? What's that? Uh, j- just having this podcast alone. Dude, everybody knows what truck I drive. Everybody can figure out where I hunt if they work hard enough. And so at this point, I'm just trying to mix it up every year going forward. You you elk hunters out there are psycho. They will figure it out. I mean, with Google Earth and all sorts of stuff, man, like shoot – You'd be surprised. So the, the good thing is you're a great hunter. Their success will never get in the way of yours, but it is going to make drawing a tag a lot harder. Yeah. That's you. Like I said, I drew, I drew with two points one year, four points another year. Well, that was like eight points that year because of the, the deal, but, uh, and seven points another year. It's not like it's a once in a lifetime draw. Um, so, you know, but it was for him because he was, moving out of he moved out of state anyway and he drew with three points 
So to, for him to go on there and say that it was a once in a lifetime draw and that people would pay $30,000 for this hunt, you know, it just, it just wasn't what I really like to hear from my backyard. Uh, I try and keep my stuff somewhat, you know, to where, you know, yeah, if somebody wants to really dive into it, they can, and, and they can maybe figure something out. But I think if he, if they would have just said, you know, Southeast Washington, that would have been a lot better for everybody. I understand. Including himself. I mean, he made a public announcement and he told me himself that that was the worst mistake he's ever made. Hmm. Was was blasting it like he did. And it's not like he just kind of said where it was. I mean, he was naming specific canyons and saying which corner of the of the forest service he was in. I mean, basically he pretty much drew, uh, drew a map right to my, my family's property. Mm. And it's, and it was in a part of the unit that, that kind of is a sleeper part, but I don't think it is anymore. No. And it sounds no. like the unit itself. I talked to a few people that had the tag this season or this last season. And, it was a lot different story than it was the year before. I guess the there's a bunch of wolves in the area and they had things chased around. And I mean, I don't know if there's less elk now, but then there was the year before. But I mean, I was on a lot of big bulls every day. There was shooter bulls. It was, just, you know, it's a whole different story getting shots at them. But there I, I had a very good hunt, even though it took me till the very last day to get him. But um, it was definitely an eventful season. And then to hear that it was not that way the next season, that's kind of unfortunate. But maybe that'll knock the, the draw odds down a little bit. We'll see. Uh, in 2011, when I was in there, I remember I, this is back when all of Idaho opened August 30th. It's not like that anymore. Certain zones, as you know, open up later than August 30th. But I used to love hunting Idaho August 30th. Loved it. But anyways, I was in an area that opened August 30th in 2011, and I remember it was like my first really wicked wolf encounter. I encountered an entire pack. It was like 13 or 14 of them, and there was like, uh-huh, juveniles, everything. And I filmed the whole thing, and I can't remember if I had a tag for wolves or not, so I can't really get myself in trouble. I don't remember if I had a wolf tag. I've almost always had one, but... They totally screwed up an elk hunt. Like we, we were stalking two bulls that were sparring in an open meadow in the backcountry, and then these wolves surrounded them, which means they surrounded us. And dude, I got ridiculous good footage. I put it on YouTube. I think it's still the my most views, most viewed video on YouTube. And once that happened, I was like, okay, my big bull tag in Southeast Washington opens up. Let's head that way. So we headed down there, and that's what I remember is like really. Never seen any wolf sign in the Wanaha when I was there. Like, and I was there forever. I was there for two, it took me two weeks to get my bull. And it's a long, sad story, but I, we, I don't think we have time to go over it. But I never saw any wolf sign. And I had talked to so many people and they said that they like, they're starting to like infringe on that area. So are they full blown running the show in there now? Oh yeah. There's, there's several different packs and lots of, of lone wolves and um they've got den sites all over grouse flats you know i was i i hunted grouse flats quite a bit um and we found a a bovine calf up there dead 
that had definitely been killed by wolves. And we, we probably scared the wolf off of it because it hadn't even started eating it yet. And it was still foaming out of its mouth, but you could see the puncher marks under the, the, uh, under the neck. And so we got a hold of the landowner and they got a hold of the biologist and they did, did determine that it was a wolf kill. Hmm. So, I mean, there was no doubt about that. And, but I have yet to see one in Idaho or Oregon or Washington or anywhere I've, you know, I've been right next to them when they're howling, but you know, Northern Idaho, it's, you can hear them a lot before you ever see one. Cause it's just so dense. And, uh, and I've heard them in Washington and there's definitely a lot around my, my sister, she's the, the shed hunter of the family. And she, she saw several this year um in southeast washington and uh, my dad was seeing them up on grouse flats before he moved so that would have been prior to 2011 so okay they were definitely they were definitely around even then as well yeah that's crazy yeah i just i didn't see any sign and i'm pretty familiar with wolf sign um and i've hunted north idaho a ton and i've seen with my own two eyes i've already talked about this on the podcast before so listeners sorry but i've seen I don't even, I can't even keep track, but it's hell. My daughter is four years old and has, or five, and she's seen a wolf 40 yards away. We've, we've just, they're, they're pretty bad over there. So, um, well, that sucks, man. Um, I want to stir, steer us back towards elk tactics a little bit. So it sounds to me, but I could be wrong. Minus your brother, you're a little bit of a solo elk hunter. Yes. Uh, I'd say, you know, I've, I've only killed, I think six bulls and all but one was with another person. So the, the one I got there in Washington a couple of years ago, uh, my brother, Sean was with me that day. He was, you know, I hunted probably 12 days that season and, and he hunted with me a couple of days in the beginning and then nothing, then I was totally solo and then the last day he, he came to, to give me some assistance and it paid off. You know, he's, he's definitely the aggressive one. He's definitely more aggressive than I am. And sometimes I just got to say, what would my little brother do and just do it? Cause he gets aggressive and somehow he gets it done a lot. So, um, you know, on that hunt and, you know, we've got the YouTube video up on online And so you're welcome to watch it and you'll see that, you know, I got really aggressive and just, I went in on this patch of timber where there was a bull bugling and just went in there screaming and tearing stuff up as I went at him and somehow luckily got a shot off and, and, uh, that was it for him. Game over. Uh, well, from one solo guy to another, I have my reasons why I solo elk hunt and, the Cliff Notes version is, God bless my dad. He's the, my dad is the best guy I know. He's like my best friend. And he is so polar opposite of me in personality. I'm pretty tightly wound. Some would say maybe neurotic or OCD and maybe a little beyond driven. He's definitely a hard worker, hardest working guy I know, but he's just so nice and laid back and chill. And um, we would elk hunt a lot together, and we would try the whole calling thing early on, and it would kind of work. But eventually, I would he 
he would need a day off, like or morning off, you know. Sure. And so it seemed like every time he took that morning off, I'd go out kill an elk, and it started happening year after year, to the point where we have this new deal, and it's not new anymore. It's probably ten years old. Where I'll go out if we're hunting the same unit, same state. I'll go out get my bull killed, and when I'm done, I'm calling for him until he kills. Sure. And it, that's kind of how I figured out I was better at hunting solo. That's not that my dad's a like my dad's not a ball and chain. Uh, it's just that I do better hunting solo. So, what are your best solo hunting practices? What are your like tried and true methods? What is it about it for those that are interested in trying it? Well, I, I do appreciate the solitude about it. You know, you're just it's just you and the mountain and the elk, you know, so it's, you're, you don't have to worry about what somebody else thinks. You don't have to, you know, you're not waiting up for anybody. You're not, you know, if you're hunting with somebody, it doesn't matter how quiet they are. They're always noisier than you are is what it seems like, you know, (laughs) whenever somebody's walking behind you, you're always thinking, man, could they get any noisier? But I think, you know, they're probably not really any, you're probably not really any more quiet. It's just, other people's sounds annoy somebody more than their own, their own sounds do. Um, so there's none of that. Um, and a lot of it is, you know, not everybody's got the time at the same time. So, I mean, I got a lot of friends that like to hunt, but you know, we, we don't have the same schedules and, you know, and somewhere like in Idaho, you got to pick your unit. And if you don't have the same tag, then you're not hunting together. Um, so it's a lot of it's by necessity and, and some of it's preference. I mean, I, that, that bull I got a couple years ago in Washington when my brother was there, the fact that he was there just made it all that much better. Um, you know, it's, it's really cool to be able to, to share that moment with somebody. Yes. Um, it definitely enhances that side of it. And, you know, when it happens, you just, you, you just rejoice on how great it was that, that that person was there, you know, that I'm glad you were here to be there for that moment in time. And, and then of course the moment in time when you're putting it on your back as well, um, is a big benefit when it comes to elk hunting. Cause I've packed out several elk on my back all by myself and, and it's been a three day ordeal before. So, uh, there is that aspect that I, that I'm not a big fan of when it comes to solo elk hunting, um, is packing it out by yourself, but that's also, you know, part of the, the whole nostalgia thing, you know, knowing that the, every, every bite of this meat that I, I packed it out on my back all by myself, you know, in the wilderness, uh, with not another soul around. So, I mean, there is that part of it as well that I appreciate. So, I mean, I'm sure there's lots of other things I like about solo hunting as well. Um, but those are the main ones that come to mind. Let's talk about your plans for 2020. Washington's draw results are coming out soon, bro. Are you feeling lucky? Well, the Southeast Washington got a big hit on tag numbers. Uh, they m- must not like the the population or something right now because the 
they dropped the tag numbers in in half in the units I put in for. So I'm not feeling that lucky right now. And not to mention I'm I'm putting in with only two points. But I've gotten lucky before, so there is a chance. And that's one thing I like about uh, Washington's system is is no matter what, you do have a chance. Um, it is a you know you do have the bonus point system, but you know with two with two two points you do still have a chance of drawing. Certainly, certainly. Um, you know we talked about this a couple podcasts ago, but yeah, we we think that they didn't do as many flyovers in the last few years as possible. And then you've had some different winters. You've had like drought year in fifteen, couple of harsh winters back to back, and then the way they approach their counts is, you know on foot, so to speak, which, you know, there's always going to be bulls in timber and bulls are not big bulls, especially are not going to be near cows during winter. And, uh, especially the older age class ones, they're going to be pretty recluse. So it might be a little bit of a flawed system. You know, we talked about this, but let's get your perspective. And I don't want to talk much more about Washington, but like, um, I don't, which tribe gets to hunt the Southeast Washington well, at least Nez Perce, because I see them driving around all the time with racks in the back of their tri- the pickups and stuff. And, you know, I, I live in the town of Asotan, which is a it's the, the end of the road as far as southeast Washington goes. And everything beyond that is all elk country. So, you know, they stop here at our store. My wife has a hair salon here uh, right at the store. So whenever I'm hanging out down there, I, you know, I see who's coming and going. And, mm-hmm. and so we definitely, there's definitely lots of tribal hunting going on around here, but you know, if you pick the, the areas where you got to really work for it, I don't yeah. think it's as big of an issue, uh, because they don't, you know, they can use rifles during the archery season or they can use rifles any time of the year. So, and the, there's a lot of areas that aren't that, tough of terrain with big bulls in them so i mean why go down into the the nasty holes when you can just do it on top before before they get pushed around so so i do know uh that they do hit that pretty hard up there uh and idaho you know northern idaho a lot of the draw units around here and their main area the nez perce tribe you know they've they've got was considered Waha, which used to be a really good hunting area, but it's gone downhill a lot. Uh, they just give out way too many tags and, and stuff like that. There's, there's good elk numbers, but there's not a whole lot of big bulls left up there. Um, so I think that they have gone elsewhere, uh, for that reason. Um, we do, uh, where I work is, is in a place uh, it's kind of out in the, well, it's way out in the middle of nowhere. It's a two hour drive from Lewiston and there's not a whole lot of bulls up that, well, there's lots of bulls, but just not a whole lot of big bulls, you know, just a lot of basic six points and stuff. And, and, uh, there's definitely a lot of tribal hunting that goes on up there, but there's a lot of elk, lots of cows. Um, so, I mean, I don't even know what they're targeting, uh, I think that's pretty much a spot where they go to get their meat for the year. So, I mean, you can't really say much about that. Right on. Yeah. Well, back to the solo elk hunting for 2020. So Washington draw results are coming out. Do you have, have you picked up an Idaho elk tag yet, given what happened to you last year? Are you waiting to see how you do in Washington? What are your plans for 2020? 
Well, I should have checked into it last year a little more because I do have a lifetime license in Idaho. Oh, bro. So I, you know, I didn't look into it too much at the time. And uh, it ends up that if you do have a lifetime, you're guaranteed a tag. So I could have gotten a tag, but, you know, I've been wanting to hunt Oregon for a long time. And I knew my brother wasn't going to be able to get a tag because he doesn't have a lifetime license. And we were wanting to hunt the same, you know, same area and, uh, you know, not necessarily hunt together all the time, but be there for each other and camp with each other and, you know, spike out on our own if we have to, whatever, which is what we ended up doing. Uh, so, you know, I wasn't too bummed out about it, although, you know, it cost me a couple hundred more dollars because I, I had to buy a, a hunting license as well in Oregon versus I didn't have to in, in, in Idaho. But you know, like I said, we, we hunted some new area and where I'm used to hunting in Idaho, it's like I was saying, it's, it's thick, uh, but it's got pockets of elk. If you know where to go and how to get there, uh, you can usually find them, but it's kind of a morning and an evening situation. You're not going to find them in their beds, you know, or just milling around in the trees. Uh, if you're walking during the middle of the day, if you find them, you're, you're bumping them. Uh, so that's nap time for me is what I usually end up doing. If I don't have one, if, if I'm not working a bowl by noon, then I'm just going to hang out and wait till the evening. Whereas where we hunted in Oregon, it's a little more open and there's no time for naps. You know, you're, if, if you're not glassing, then you're just wasting your time. So, so you can, even if you're not into the elk in the morning, your, your day's not over. Whereas where I usually go in, in Idaho, if I feel like if, if I'm not on one in the morning, then it, it's been kind of a wasted day. I, mean, I don't know if you, if you run into the same experience, uh, if, or even if you hunt Northern Idaho much. Well, you know, North Idaho, I've hunted a ton. That's where I cut, that's where I've learned how to elk hunt. And it's funny because um, I think there's different tactics for different personalities, regardless of where you're going. And then I also think that there's really different tactics for different areas, whether it be brush country, coastal, high desert, plains, steep, mid mountain to, you know, high country elk that they're all going to be different, but I don't personally, I don't sleep during September much. And when I do, it's. You know, if it is during the day, it's because I stayed up really late bugling bulls at night trying to locate where I'm going to be the next day. And I'm more or less shifting towards the elk's pattern and program. And I do that out of necessity because I don't know where the elk are at. But no, I don't take a lot of naps. And, and if I if I can, I, I like to do midday madness. I like I like when they're bedded and I like when it's hot and they're bedded. And a lot of times the cows don't want to move and. I can kind of force a bull's hand, but that really, that tactic works better when I have my dad as shooter, to be honest. Sure. Yeah. As a solo guy, that's pretty tough. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean I don't do it, but I like midday madness, but it's definitely to me more of a partner program. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you know, the, the bull I had the opportunity on there in Oregon last year, it was, you know, one o'clock when I, when I missed him, you know, mm -hmm. I hit the trees right i i had to tuck it really close to a tree and hit the tree you know it took a big chunk of bark out of it and 
found my lighted knock sitting on the ground right at that tree. And, uh, so, you know, and I, I followed his, his running tracks for about 400 yards and never did find one speck of blood, never did even find my arrow. It must've, you know, it ricocheted off and who knows where it went a little harder to find it when the lighted knock falls off, of course. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, that was a, a situation where I spotted them and they were bedded down. And by the time I got to where they were, they had moved down into the timber more. So I, I just got right down in there where I felt like they were and let off a bugle and his cows actually took off. And I think he was bedded down above his cows because I'd see, I'd seen him a couple of days before that. And that's what he had done. He was up in the cliffs of, and that's how I saw him because he was bedded down up in the cliffs all by himself, but he had a, you know, 10 cows right down below him in the trees. And, uh, so I just got right down in there with his cows and they left. And so I was, I figured it was over. And then I was, you know, I thought, well, I better just give a little more time because I didn't see him leave. And apparently he didn't even know his cows had left because he he yelped a couple times up above me or chuckled and uh and then he just came right down in right on top of me and kind of he he saw something he didn't like at 40 yards and you know i had i was drawn back for about a minute or so and and he was just looking right at me uh you know i could have taken a 40 yard frontal shot but that's not going to happen. I figure they're always better to, to let him turn, especially at that distance. And so I let him turn and I, and I started and I cow called and he almost stopped broadside, but then he decided he was going to turn around. He took a couple steps and then turned back around the other way. And that's when I had my shot. Mm, I see. And, that, and that's when I failed at that opportunity. So that was unfortunate. Uh, my brother had got his bull that day before. And uh, we'd have been in a world of hurt with two big bulls down. I'll tell you that. Good problem to have, though. I tell you what. Um, you know, so do you and your brother kind of do a system where if you guys are hunting together, it's pretty much you go your way, I'll go my way. We'll compare notes. If you kill something, I'll stop what I'm doing, help you pack it out, vice versa? Yeah, that's that's pretty much what we were doing there. That was a backcountry trip. So we were, you know, hunting off of our backpacks and – uh, so, you know, we were together some of the time and then if we got to a good looking area and, you know, we'd go separate ways and, and then come back that night and compare notes, like you're saying. And, and, you know, on the night before he got his bull, he spotted that bull right at dark. And, and I had, I had spotted, I had that, uh, the bull I ended up missing, I, I'd made a move on him that same day. So, you know, you split up and you're covering twice the ground and, you know, there's no, no debate on who the shooter is. You know, you just, you just got to go get it done all by yourself. And, and, uh, so that was kind of cool that we both, both found bulls and it had been pretty slow up into that point. And, and, uh, you know, we had to cover lots of ground to really find where we needed to be. And by that time we were so far into the back country, luckily about five miles away from where he shot his bull there there's an airstrip and we were able to get a hold of a buddy who's got a plane and he ended up flying us out of there are you serious yeah yeah it was either that or or a nine mile hike straight down 
which didn't sound very great either, with some lots of uphill in between. Any rattlesnakes? Yeah, we did run into one, actually. Hmm. A pretty good size one, at least one that I can remember right off the top of my head. Um, so, yeah, they're definitely around. Uh, we didn't see any bears. We talked to one guy, or uh, one group of guys, two guys, who said they'd seen 15 bears in that week that they'd been hunting it. And then we didn't see any. So I thought that was kind of odd. Um, cause not like we weren't looking. Um, so yeah, it was, it was a good hunt and, but we put on a lot of miles. It was, we were, we were well over a hundred miles in eight days. So, but it was, it was really good deal just to, to say I could, I could do it. You know, that's, I haven't, I've done a little bit of backcountry hunting, but most of it has been more day hiking from the vehicle or y'all ride a, ride a dirt bike up a trail and then start walking from there. You know, so usually back at camp every night, um, you know, I've done a few trips in the backcountry, but no more than three or four days. Uh, so to go, to go for eight days, uh, you really realize how good food can be, you know, instead <laughs> of the same, especially elk. When you get an elk on the last day, um, that looked really good because uh, mm. we were totally burnt out on Mountain House by then. Oh, I bet. So, I, dude, I have to bring up self-filming and kind of how we got you on the podcast. About, uh, I think it was my last post on Instagram at the time of this recording. Let's see if I can pull it up uh basically i said i had just killed a bear basically spot and stock and i had the gopro on a monopod on the side of my backpack for over the shoulder and it turned out phenomenal until and i got to 25 yards on this bear made a great stock it was like a four mile spot a one mile atv ride and a three mile mm, almost jogging because you know how fast bears move. Oh, yeah. And I just knew I needed to haul ass. And I got there, got the bear, got the wind right, made it to 25 yards, pulled back, made a nice quartering away shot. And you know how it is. Like, I don't have time to review the footage. Like, my wife worked the next day. I got to get this bear broken down in my backpack, get off the mountain, get home at 1.30 a.m., wake up and be dad for the kids. So... And that's, I'm not complaining. That's just what it is. It's just what, so anyways, I finally got to review the footage and um, was super bummed. As I turned to shoot, my camera followed my torso. So obviously my left shoulder is facing the bear and and even a wide angle hero GoPro 7, the bear goes out of frame. You don't get to see the impact, which is a bummer. So... I posted, and I was like, guys, here it is. And I have a picture on Instagram of my setup. I said, here's my GoPro over-the-shoulder setup, which is good, but I desperately need an additional head camera or point of view that's not fisheye, which is the key, to capture when I'm at full draw and my target. And I said, any suggestions? I'm not wanting to mount anything to my bow that's electronic because many states do not like allow that. So I had a contour camera that worked pretty dang good. I kind of had a system where I turned my GoPro on over the shoulder. I'd slide my contour on 
and it was good to go. And I would get pretty good footage, like good enough for YouTube, good enough for you to really tell what's going on. And a contour didn't morph or distort the footage to make it look like a bull is 70 yards away when it's 20 yards. You know what I mean? But Oh, yeah. Most of the time, you can't even tell that it's an elk. Exactly. So I was like, I'm ready for some help. And I don't know how many comments did I get. I got like over 40. And you were tagged in many of those. So I reached out to you. And I've, I've seen your stuff on YouTube before. And I've known about it. And we got to talking. And here you are today. So I wanted to set aside some time on this podcast. And Dan's not sponsored. I'm not selling anything. Chris is, though. Tell me about the evolution of this side hustle of yours. And I have it now in my hands. And I'm trying to figure out if I'm going to buy a Panasonic 770 or this new Tacticam 4K camera. I want to get your advice because, dude, I need to film stuff this year for some projects. And I I don't want a cameraman. So talk to us. Well, you know, we've been on here an hour already, so I hope we got another hour or two. Okay. Because we could talk all night about self-filming, and I hope we do. Obviously, we're both got to be dads as well and husbands. So, but... I'll try and give you a, a shortened down version, which will probably turn out to be pretty long, but uh, <laughs> it's all fun stuff to talk about. Yeah. So, you know, probably about 10 years ago, my brother and I were really wanting to get into filming our hunts. And we had some, we each had a really cheap, uh, not so good camcorder, you know, digital camcorder that, you know, standard definition and, uh digital zoom all that stuff but you know it was at the time it wasn't that bad of a camcorder uh for what we were using it for and um you know i was really wanting a gopro or something like that that i could film my hunts with and and uh i one time i saw my headlamp sitting there and next to my digital camera and i just thought well why don't I just used some electrical tape and taped that to my head. So that's what I did. And I went out coyote hunting and got a, got a coyote coming in on camera. I never got a shot at it, but it worked, you know? So I was like, well, you know, there's gotta be something out there that you could just use to put any camera on. So I went home and, and got looking around on the internet and I couldn't find anything that you could just put any camera on, you know, obviously GoPro has their head mount and all those camera companies have their own head mounts, but they're they're pretty inexpensive. Uh, and they work well if you're using a really lightweight camera, like the one that it's designed for. But you know, being elastic and stuff, they they're just not going to hold up much weight. Um, so I ended up just making my own, and basically what I came up with was a a head mount that you can put almost any camera on as long as it's got the tripod thread in the bottom or an adapter for one, you know, so GoPros, they don't have the tripod, uh, thread in the bottom, but they've got the adapter, which works real well. So, so GoPros do work on there. Yeah. I have the but adapter. It, it's no problem. Sure. Yep. Yeah. It actually works pretty good. And, in, uh, in addition to that, it, it allows you to wear it on the side of your head and uh and a lot more maneuverability than the gopro head mount um, so you can really dial the camera in exactly where you need it uh, versus having it all crooked on your head like you do with their mount uh, 
So, I mean, we do sell quite a few for, for GoPro users, but uh, where we really found out where it really shines is with the, the compact camcorders. You know, because there's no action cam on the market that's going to do everything that a camcorder can do. And not to mention they're half the price. You know, for $200, you can get the, the Panasonic 180, and it's a great little camera. Uh, it's like seven and a half ounces. So it's, it's like one ounce heavier than a GoPro. So weight's really not an issue as far as that one's concerned. It's got a 90 power zoom on it. Hmm. Uh, the, and it's, it's not a digital zoom, uh, but it's, it's a hybrid zoom. So it, it does something internally, you know, it's got the 50 power optical zoom and then it jumps to 90 power uh through they call it an intelligent zoom and you really can't tell the difference between that and optical zoom they they do a really good job with it uh so that's what we keep it on we don't ever use the digital zoom because you know how that is it just starts cropping once you get past your your uh your optical zoom and get into the digital it's just it's it doesn't work out great uh but 90 power with that intelligent zoom if there's a a muley buck a mile away, you can count points. So, um, 90 power, that's a big deal for us, especially, you know, when we were first starting this mule deer hunting was our big thing and it's open country. So you're, we're doing a lot of zoom ins from across the Canyon. And, uh, so it's not just a head camera, you know, you, you can really make a full featured film with one, one camcorder, which you really have a hard time making a full featured film with one GoPro. Certainly. You know, I mean, you're not going to get any zoom in footage from a mile away. That's for sure. What's the, uh, is it 1080 or 720? It's 1080. Nice. Yeah. And that's either that camera or the 380 is the one that I suggest people start with. Um, it, it depends on the level of footage you're, you're needing. That 770 is actually what we use, uh, but it is about twice the size and weight. So you really have to have the strap dialed in really well, um, fit really good. Uh, it takes, you know, it takes a few trips to you sweat in it a couple times and it, it breaks it in and it, it really dials it in a lot better. And then you, you figure it out a lot more and just how to set it up. It, it's not just something that you're going to throw on your head and automatically go out and, and get the level of footage that we're getting. Um, not to say it's hard. It just takes time to develop those skills and to make it instinctual. Um, when, when Sean, my brother, Sean and I, when we're hunting, it really doesn't take any more time or effort to get a really good video when we use our system, you know, cause you got the head camera and it's going. So you're, you're guaranteed to get a shot, at least a kill shot, but say you got a bull coming in and he, he hangs it up on a tree a hundred yards away and you can see his rack through the tree. Well, we'll just take the head camera off, open up the screen and zoom in on him doing that stuff. And that's, you know, you get a couple zoom ins on an animal during the stock or as he's coming in or, you know, whatever the situation is, if you can get those zoom ins, it really adds to a video. How are you zooming in with a camera off your left earlobe? If you're right-handed, we'll just take it off. You okay. just take the whole, you just take the whole strap off. That's the quickest, oh, okay. fastest, 
smoothest way to do it. And then, you know, it's all set. So once you put it back on, you're still, you're, you're good to go. Gotcha. Uh, you just gotta, you just gotta remember to zoom out. <laughs> yeah. Which, which I've made that mistake a couple times. And, and, you know, you can even zoom it into to two power. Say, if you know your shot's going to be over 50 yards, yep, you could zoom it in a little bit and, and get better footage that way as far as the, the impact goes. But I have tried that before and you know, you're all of a sudden your 50 shot is now a 15 yard shot and it's too tight at that point. And I missed a shot because of that. That makes sense. So, yeah. So anymore, we just leave it on zero zoom, which is still a narrower field of view than what you're going to get with the GoPro or the contour or any of those action cams. You know, cause those action cams, you can only fit so much stuff into a, a little compartment and so that's their main image stabilization is a wide field of view, you know, versus a camcorder. They've, they've got more image stabilization mechanisms in there. Uh, so it's a pretty, you know, unless you're running or moving your head really fast, it's a pretty uh, steady video. So when you bump up to the 770, is that where you're getting your extra weight is the stabilization? That and the the processors or and the whatnot that's in there are bigger. You know, the 770. I want to say the the intelligent zoom on there is only 50. I think it's a 30 power optical and a 50 power intelligent zoom. And the reason why when you you spend more money on cameras, it seems like the zoom the zoom power goes down, and that's because they're trying to cram more stuff in that camera so that lens can't move as far. That makes sense. Yeah. So you are, you do sacrifice a little bit of zoom capabilities by jumping up to the 770, but the footage quality is definitely better. Uh, and that's why we wear it around. You know, it's, uh, it is, you know, if you're on a four hour stock, you, you know, you're going to, you're probably going to be moving it around a little bit with that size of camera. You know, it, after a few hours in the hot sun, it, it's definitely going to be weighing on you, but, um, you know, that's just the price you pay for, for high quality footage. I was just going to ask you, like, take us through, like, maybe the most important setup, like one touch, you got to touch a button and it's recording. And so you don't double punch the record button or have to monkey with it. I mean, honestly, it needs to be an extension of you. It's going to take reps, but like, what are some of the things you do? So it's just like flawless execution because people are into filming their hunts. And I don't know why they would, why they wouldn't, uh, with YouTube and just having the footage and archiving it to study, as nerdy as that sounds. So, what are some of the things that you do in your setup? Well, uh, first of all, the reason why we like the Panasonic camcorders, it's not necessarily because they're better than Sony or Canon. You know, they they've all got their own little things that maybe they're better at one than other. But as long as you're in the same price point, you're not going to tell a whole lot of difference in the footage. But it's their setup is what we really prefer. And with the Panasonic, what you do is is when you open the screen, it turns on all by itself. You know, so you don't have to see anything to do that. You just reach up and open up the screen and it turns on. And then all you have to do is hit the record button. And this is one thing. A lot of people say they don't want they want a camera that doesn't make any noise. But I have I will definitely recommend leaving the beep on. So when you hit that, the record button, it beeps once 
And then when you hit it again, it beeps twice. And that means it's, it's done recording. So as long as you hear it beep once, you know, it's recording, you know, so you don't have to take it off and look to make sure it's recording. If you hear that beep, you're good to go. Uh, I, one time I had it with, I turned the beep off and missed one of the most remarkable videos we could have ever had because it didn't turn on. Right. I, I didn't wait long enough or something. I don't know what happened, but my brother was there and these deer were coming up over this. The, the rancher was down below and we were getting ready to put a move on these, a buck. And he, uh, the rancher starts coming up this ridge chase, uh, pushing cattle around. And so the deer were getting antsy. So we're just, we kind of had a feeling where they were going to go. So we ran down the Canyon. And then I, as we were leaving, he said, turn on your camera. Well, I didn't hear that, you know? And, and so I take off and, and, uh, ended up getting a, it was a frontal shot about 10 yards on a, a four by mule deer, just right. You know, my brother, luckily my brother had his camera rolling cause he could still see me and it looks like the deer about to run me over. And then I, you know, it just felt so good. And I put this you know, put it right on this buck and hit him and he took off running and instantly, you know, blood was just coming out of him in a steady stream. And he took off running and I take my camera off. I flip open the, the screen and it turns on. Mm. And that's, you know, cause th that's one thing that we always try to do, especially with mule deer, because you can usually see them for a while after you, you get a shot is so we'll, we'll take the shot and then we'll just grab the, the whole, the whole hat and and uh, camera system off our head and open up the screen and zoom in. You know, most people you'll put your bow down and grab your binoculars and try and see where you hit. Well, instead of doing that, we just go for the camera, open it up, zoom in on him, and try and get that death on video. Which, you know, sounds kind of morbid, but you know, that's as far as I'm concerned, that's the pinnacle of a self film hunt is to get that get that shot on film and then get, get it, the death on film get it to well. tip over on camera yeah that's that's the pinnacle and and it doesn't happen very often you know but but we've definitely got several definitely got several mule deer videos on there where it happens and then my elk uh in washington a couple years ago i went to zoom in on him you could just barely see him through the trees and a a limb got in the way so i I didn't zoom in. I didn't mess with it. I just kind of zoomed out to where it focused. And then you could still kind of see him tip over, mm -hmm. but you could, def you could definitely hear him crashing. You got to, you got to keep your, you know, you got to keep it together, but all that stuff happens over time, you know, and, right. and anymore, it's just instinctual for us. It just, everything just happens. We don't have to think about it. Um, but you know, each video you do, you're going to realize things you need to focus on next time. And if, if you can just pick one thing to focus on next time and, and get that committed to instinct, then you probably won't have to worry about it again. You know, it, it just kind of instinctually happens. Okay. So I'm going to take this a couple steps further because dude, this is great information for me personally. I know others will enjoy it as well. So this Panasonic 770 versus what did you say the other two? There was a 180 and yep. There's the 180 and the 380. The 180 and 380 have the same uh, processors and 
you know, if you go through the, the list of specs, everything's the same, except for it, it is a little bit bigger. It's got a little, the 380 has a little bit bigger screen on it. And the number one thing that the 380 does versus the 180 is it fires up in about a quarter of the time. So the, the 180 takes about four seconds versus the 380 takes about one second to fire up. So you open your, with the 380, you open the screen, maybe give it a one count and then you hit record and it's, it'll beep and you're going. Whereas with the 380 or the 180, give it a four count and then push your button. Okay. So there's not a whole lot of difference. There is about a hundred dollar difference between the two. Uh, also I should mention with the 380, you can set that, you can set the Wi-Fi up to where you can use your phone as a screen And I've messed around with it a bit as well, and especially for people that are just getting started, you know, to get your the camera lined up right, because you know that takes a little bit of monkeying around and practice, just figuring out where to how to get the camera so it's lined up perfectly for when you draw back, you know, just kind of how you were saying, you know, you 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 turned your torso your torso and uh, didn't get the shot on film, so you definitely got to have it dialed in and ready to rock. Uh, which at this point, we don't even check it. Uh, if you don't have a phone out there set up to do that, you could just, you just do a fake drawback and, you know, hit record, do a drawback and then watch it just to make sure you're on. And we used to do that. Uh, but anymore, I don't, I never even check my camera. I just throw it on. I've got a, some anchor points. You know, I, I always put my finger right between my head and, the my thumb right between the my head and the camera battery and that is pointing to the left just the perfect amount so it's all about just figuring out your anchor points uh everybody's head shape's a little different so i mean there has been a couple guys that have said they just they couldn't figure it out you know they couldn't get it to line up right and i was like well you know you can watch our videos it's definitely doable you know it's there's no doubt about that you just you know get in you know even just getting in front of a mirror and getting your bow and turning the camera the the lens around uh and so you can see in the mirror you're looking back at yourself and and you can really dial it in that way i mean there's all sorts of ways to dial it in but um that's probably the hardest thing right off the bat is getting it dialed in that for that but once you get that figured out that's really not an issue Biggest, uh, what's the largest memory card you can put in these cameras? Well, I'm running 128s is what I've got, but you can, near as I know, you can put a 456 in there. Or a 512. Okay. Um, and then how big are these files? Let's say you film a 10-minute section. Like if I did that on my 4K Sony DSLR, 10 minutes could be 20 gigs. Sure. Are, these files are probably smaller. Yes, definitely smaller. Uh, we're getting about, it breaks it into uh, four gig segments if you have a really long one. So if say you're on a four hour stock Yes. and you just keep it going the whole time, never hit record or anything, it's going to break it down into four, four gig sections. And uh, those are about 20 minutes a piece. That makes sense. Um, and then let me ask you about batteries do they sell some comp some cameras i've had aftermarket batteries just suck for that camera like for for instance my dslr sony it's a 
uh, A7 III, the Sony battery that came with it kicks every battery's butt. I, it lasts a long time. But, you know, these camcorders, I've had them in the past. You can buy bigger batteries and stuff and put them in there. Do you do that? How many batteries do you take with you, like on a on a hunt, et cetera? And how long does it take to charge these things up? If you're like, for me, I'll run a goal zero if I'm doing a spike camp, and I'll hook it up to my Poseidon, and I'll just let it run and charge that Poseidon, and then that Poseidon's going to charge up my phone and whatever's left I'm going to put on my camera. So we do, we do carry spare batteries around. Uh, they're getting really good these days. Even the spares, we're getting four hours. Okay. You know, on the 770, it's probably more about three and a half hours, but you can get over four hours on the smaller camcorders uh, on the big batteries. It, it comes with a, I think it's a 190 is what the, the, the VBK 190 uh, that's what it comes with as far as a battery, and, and we always get the the 380s, so it's double the power. And, you know, when they first come, it seems like when they first come out with a model, you know, they'll they'll use the same battery for a few years, but then once a bunch of generics catch on to it, uh, then they'll switch it up, and then it'll be a couple years before you can buy a generic battery for a new camera. And, you know, the it, when that's the case those batteries are about 130 bucks for just a dinky little battery. Uh, but it's the Panasonic, you know, it's a OEM Panasonic battery. And, and we've never had one of those go bad on us. We have had a couple of the, the generics go bad over time, but as for the most part, you know, you're paying 20 to $30 for a generic battery. So, you can have one or two go bad on you over the course of a long period of time and, and keep buying them. That's awesome. Well, that's good to be on my radar. Sure. De but you'll definitely want to. Amazon is the place to get. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Uh, so basically, if I understand you, if I get a Panasonic, I'm, I'm, just, I'm thinking I'm leaning towards the 770, but that 380 sounds pretty good. If, so you just flip the screen open and it's on. In about a second. Yeah, and that's that's where I was going with saying that their setup is is what we like. So you flip that screen open, it starts up on its own. You hit record, and then you close the screen, and it keeps recording. Oh. Uh, the, the Sony's, you close the screen and it shuts off. Okay, dude, that okay, I'm sold because I was just like, so you're just gonna have this thing sticking out the side of the camera that's sticking out on the side of your head. Oh, I like that so much better. Yeah, that's that's definitely the that's that's the number one reason why we do the Panasonics, um, and they just they have turned out to be great little cameras as well for what you pay for them. The 380 last I saw it was like 275 bucks. You know, you could you could buy two of those for the price of a GoPro. So um, it was kind of a no brainer for us. Um, and GoPros are great cameras, you know, they, they do really well, uh, as far as dirt biking and snowmobiling, stuff like that. But we've just found them to, to come up a little short as, as you have found yourself, it sounds like when it comes to hunting. And of course there are good things that you can use it for still in hunting. And if I had one, I'd probably use it here and there, but, uh, we just don't really see the, the need anymore for it um if i could ha if i could put one on my bow i would 
pointing back at me, you know, just so you get that aspect. You can throw that in the videos and that would really show our product off a little more mm-hmm. because that's one thing about the products is if you're using it, you're not seeing it because that's what's getting the video. So, and especially when you're solo hunting, uh, it's hard to get good video of yourself unless you're doing selfies. And I try and throw a selfie in there here and there just to, um, you know, show, show how we're, we're doing what we're doing. Well, but let's wrap this up, but will you do me a favor and send me a few pictures of you and your setup? Because I'm going to be, I'm going to rock your system. I'm going to buy a Panasonic. I'm sold. And I'm, I'm going to start messing around with it right away. I got, I have to, I don't have a choice. And what sold me on the Panasonic is be able to close the little flip screen and have it still record. That's, that's going to be awesome. And it's going to take some practice, but I've ran head cameras for several years. And so, uh, I have some good reps there. Um, where can people find more about your product, whether it be the Instagram, the website, any call to action, whatever you want to do, this is your time to plug your stuff so people can follow you. And, and also text me like your favorite YouTube video that you guys have that showcases your product. You guys have a great YouTube channel, by the way, I did go check it out. You have a lot of subscribers. You got some serious views. So yeah. Yeah. We're definitely building a, a following, I hope. And, uh, people do seem to enjoy the videos. You know, they're definitely, I like to say they're unique. You know, you're, you know, we, we use a lot of what other people are doing out there as well, but, but we like to throw on our own little things. Uh, so we've, we, our website is where you can see all of our products and we've got a bunch of videos on there as well. Um, and that's solvidsystems.com. And then, uh, Instagram, we're not as, uh, not as active on there as I really should be, but you know how it is with family and work and all that stuff. It's just hard to, to juggle all that. But I, we, we do post quite a bit there and let everybody know when we're, when we got videos coming out and that's Solvid F I Y, which is short for film it yourself. Uh, so that's a good spot. Uh, Facebook. And then of course the YouTube channel, which is Solvid systems as well. Love it, man. Well, thanks for coming on and I enjoyed talking to you. We got a lot in common. Um, I hope to stay in touch with you and uh, don't forget to send me a few pictures and a couple of YouTube links. I'll put those in the uh, show notes for you guys listening. And guys, this is the time of year to start messing with this kind of stuff. September 1st is not. So again, separation is in the preparation from your physical to your mental, to your shooting, to taking care of your family, your fitness, your finances, all that stuff. So do it right. Chris Jackson, Solvid, thanks for coming on, and uh, guys, we'll catch you on the next one. All right, guys, that was a good podcast, a little longer than most, but great information. If you want to learn more about Solvid and uh, what they got going on in the show notes, I'm going to put their discount code. And I'm going to put a link to a couple of their YouTube videos so you can see how it works as well as their socials. But the discount code is on the show notes if you're interested in getting. It's not that expensive, honestly. Get a little camcorder from Panasonic. Capture your hunts. Study your footage for next year. It's a long off season. It doesn't suck. 
to have you know that on the top of your head it's not a pain in the butt takes a few reps and and you're good to go and if you're actually thinking about like geeking out on cameras and and maybe capturing more of your hunts go to elkshape.com and check out our latest article on our picks for the best cameras to use for those that are interested in filming or capturing their hunts and bankrolling those memories this podcast is brought to you by Kennetrek Boots out of Montana, base map, $29.99 for all 50 states. Great mobile app, phenomenal desktop version. Check it out. Matthews Archery, and I'm excited because we are giving away a VXR at the end of the Elk Shape Camp season, which is the last camp is in July. As you listen to this, I am on an airplane to Colorado to do an Elk Shape Camp with Phil Mendoza. Dirk Durham, Aaron Snyder, it's going to be awesome. Grim Reaper Broadheads, I'm shooting the Hades Micro 3 Blade. I have custom AAE Max Stealth veins, and the Elk Shape logo is on those. You can get those only at elkshape.com. Check those out in the store. Baku e-bikes, we have discount code ELKSHAPE400. Saves $400 off your e-bike purchase. I'll be using my e-bike on several elk hunts this year. I've actually figured out a way to get my e-bike strapped to the back of my ATV. So if I hit any gated roads that I don't want to get my ATV around the gate or if it's locked and it's still legal to have the bike behind it, I'm always going to follow the rules. That's a cool little setup. I'm going to do a YouTube video on that coming soon. Speaking of YouTube, we just posted our bear hunt video and we're publishing one to two videos a week. Everything from backcountry gear to archery tips and tactics, as well as some fitness stuff and nutrition. So check that out. Speaking of nutrition, Wilderness Athlete has a discount code ELKSHAPE30. Save 30% off. If you're looking at upgrading your sleep systems, check out Climate. ELKSHAPE20 will get you 20% off. Lastly, when I'm traveling to all these states elk hunting, I will bring two bows because you got to have a backup bow. Lakewood Products makes a killer double bow case that's very robust you can take it on airplanes for me i don't like flying to elk hunting because i plan on killing elk hopefully lord willing so i want to drive there so i carry that lakewood double bow case you guys can get that bow case as well and get 10 percent off use the discount code elk shape 2020 and then the retention system that i use i get a lot of questions about that it's called the scout it's from Northwest Retention Systems. Use the discount code ELKSHAPE and you will have free shipping and handling. And I get nothing out of that, by the way, for those for those thinking. I get zero commissions on this stuff. I'm just plugging them because they've helped us out. And uh, I appreciate your guys' support. You have a lot of choices on podcasts. So thanks for tuning into this one. Have the best week ever. And remember, separation is in the preparation.